What we're going to do now is we're going to get right into uh, the last uh, topic in our sermon series. This has been going on for just a couple of months, and we started right before uh, the holidays. And if you remember, we, um, we've called this sermon series Epic. And we've called it Epic because what we decided to do is look at the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, but doing it in the sequence of theological concepts that help us to tell the story. Because in and of itself, I mean, I love to study theology, but it makes so much more sense. It helps it to come alive when you see how they're all connected to one another, every area of theological study, and how they help to tell the story. So we have been exploring essential theological points as told, as laid out by the greatest story ever told, and that is God's story in the Bible. And so we've seen um, lots of theological issues that help us to tell that story. We started with bibliology, and then, of course, we looked at, um, you know, why, where do we get the Bible from, why do we read the Bible, and we looked at all the different, as I say, quote-unquote, characters that are introduced into the story, God the Father, we looked at God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, angels, and of course our enemy Satan and his followers, the demons, and us in humanity. And we looked at what is the, 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 the drama in the story and what is the issue at hand in the scriptures, and that is sin. And then we said, well, what's the remedy for that? And we looked at the study of salvation. Who brings us that salvation? Jesus, and then we talked about the church last week, right? Remember that ecclesiology, that we are the church, and what does it mean that Jesus said that I'm going to leave, give you the Holy Spirit, I'm going to build my church, and what does that mean for us? And so that brings us to the conclusion of the story today. Did you ever um, go so late to a movie that you kind of walked in, like there's a sort of a recap, the second half of the movie, did you ever do that? Now, I like to get to movies early, and there's some people in my extended family, they'll go and they'll be late. And I, I went once to them, uh, with them to the movies, I'll never go again with them. You know, I like to get there early. I, I don't know about you, I mean, especially with movie ticket prices today, I like to see all the previews, even the silly commercials with the dancing people, let's all go to the lobby, all that, right? I want to get all my money's worth and see all that. I want to get there early. But some people, maybe they don't mind that. You come in at the end. How about a book? Do you ever, like, know, like, man, I want to read this book? Did you ever just go to the end and kind of see? Some people are saying, yeah, you, you can admit that, right? You can admit that. And um, uh, it's okay, right? But here's the deal. Sometimes when you know the end of the story, it'll, it'll, it'll really grab you and make you want to go back and read the whole thing. And so maybe you've joined us for the first time today. And you're like, man, I didn't get the whole Bible story, but... Today you're going to get the end, the big finale. How does this all end? Because maybe you didn't realize, but in the scriptures, God has a lot to say about how his story ends. So God has a plan, and did you know that God is also a God of the details? That he gives us a lot of detail about what's going to happen next. And now, you know, from my experience, and, and this is also personally too, this is that topic in, in Bible study or, or in study of theology that most Christians are interested in, right? Though, how is everything going to end? What happens next? I've heard this thing called the rapture, but is that, hap- is that the next thing to happen? Is there any signs that have to happen? And what about this thing called the tribulation? Are we in it now? Is it, is it coming? And I've heard things about a kingdom, and is it a thousand years, and is that literal or figurative? And what, when is heaven? Is heaven, do we go to heaven now? Would we go to heaven later? And what happens with Satan? He gets defeated, right? But there's like a battle. There's Armageddon. There's all this stuff. But here's the thing, church. We are going to look at a lot of scripture today, and we're going to start with a lot of details but then we're going to bring it in to sort of the bigger picture, the broader scope, okay? And so there's going to be a lot of scripture. Hopefully you got one of those notebooks. If not, you can take a lot of notes. Because, of course, like every other topic in our series, we cannot cover every detail. Um, I, was, uh, I was watching a, a video of a, a pastor that I like, a, a great Bible teacher. And uh, he, he taught this, this series he did in his church 
Uh, it was actually his Sunday morning series on the kingdom, and that's one of the things we're just going to touch on today. And it took him 58 weeks to do it. So it's just like, well, that's great. And it was like an hour each time. But the point is, is that just like everything we talk about today, there has been volumes written. Does that make sense? So we can only kind of scratch the surface. But I think the goal for today is this. As we look through the pages of Scripture together, as we see how the story comes to an end, okay, we realize, first of all, that God is a God who has a plan, He reveals his plan to us. We are part of the plan, and it reminds us of many things. We'll kind of end with that application. Because, again, we're going to start with a lot of details, a lot of scripture. Some you might have seen, some not. Um, A lot of stuff you can write down. But then here, what we'll do is we'll end with this. So what? What does it mean? Why do we have to study Bible prophecy? Why do we have to know what happens next? All I know is that Jesus is coming back, and it doesn't matter when. I'm just going to be with him forever. And there's a lot of truth to that. But if God spends pages and pages and thousands of words giving us detailed vision and prophecy, aren't we also saying, well, we're people of the word, and we're told to read this, so therefore it should be important to us, shouldn't it? But also think of it this way, one last way to look at it. We've been looking at the whole story of Scripture, seeing all from the beginning and all the characters introduced and the problem of sin and and what Jesus Christ has done for us, our part in it as the church. Don't we just want to know how it ends? Because in the end, it gives us hope. So if you remember nothing else and none of the details from today, not even the sequence of events which we will look at in detail, remember this, all of this should remind us that we can have hope in God. Because God has a plan, he makes promises, and he will keep his promises. And first and foremost, that that should be what we come away with today, okay? And so, um, here's here's how we will start, okay? Kind of, you have that up there just as a visual. It's everything that we've looked at, right? How we've kind of been telling this story. You know, I mentioned, it was either last week or two weeks ago, I mentioned that I had not yet seen the new Star Wars movie. If you're not fans, you know that the, the one that was made, I believe is number nine, it's the end of, of the three trilogies, and it's the end of all, the, the main um, Star Wars epic saga. And I went to see it last night with my family, and I have to say, it might sound silly, especially if you're not a fan, but I was a bit emotional afterwards. You know why? Because I realize how old I am. (laughs) The very first one came out in 1977. I've mentioned that. I was seven years old. Yes, I was born in 1970. I was seven years old, and I went to see it with my parents and my brother in the movies. The very first one made, I mentioned it Christmas Eve, if you were with us. And that first one that was ever made is called A New Hope, right? And so that was 43 years ago. For 43 years, as they've been making the movies, right, they've been telling this story. It's been a huge part of my life. And now we named our son Luke. (laughs) We'll get up to you to decide. But he is also a big fan. And now he works in the film industry, and that's one of his favorite movies, right? And afterwards, we called him and talked all about the storyline and plot holes and why did the director do this and that, and I love it. But here's the thing. It is, in its essence, a grand epic story, and it took 43 years to kind of bring that to a conclusion. So last night, I got to see the end of that story. Today is the end of this Bible story. Now, we know for us in reality, right, the end comes when Christ comes back for us. And there's a lot else that happens. But as the church, that is what we're looking forward to next. So we're going to look at that, the rapture, okay, and what the scripture says about that. And so this is not, we know how things are going to end. This is the end of the story for us to know, right? But as people of hope and people in Christ, we know that we have no end. What we look forward to is an eternity an eternal fellowship with our creator. But yet he tells us in his word for many reasons how this is all going to play out. And so last night I finally got to see the end of that Star Wars epic. And today we'll get to see how this story truly comes to an end and how good God is. Let me read this for you. Revelation 1, 1 through 3. 
the men's Tuesday morning Bible study, which I believe starts up again this week, um, a couple studies ago, we went through the book of Revelation and we studied it in detail. Here's what Revelation says right at the beginning. Maybe you haven't read it before. Look at what it says in verses 1 to 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. In verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Did you ever read that? Here it is. Why is it important to study end time stuff? It says right here. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ that he gave to his servant John. What? So it could be known? So we could read it and hear it and study it so that we could be blessed. Why? Because the time is near. So then the question always comes, how near is it? What happens next? So that's what we're going to look at, all right? Here's the chronology. Here's what it looks like, okay? We're going to show this again. Again, we can't, we can't get into too much detail, um, but there's going to be a lot of detail, but we can't unpack it all, all right? Here's the chronological sequence of events that we would believe here at Trinity, the way that, that I best understand Scripture, all right? Uh, is that we are now in the church age. We're going to start moving kind of quickly through these details so we can get to our application, right? So we are now in the church age. We talked about that last time. So we are the church. Uh, Anybody who's going to be reconnected to God, reconciled to God, comes to him by grace through faith, right, Jew or Gentile. Um, And so that in this time of the church age, which we know began at Pentecost with the giving of the Holy Spirit, you can read about it in in Acts chapters 1 and 2, uh, that, that is the age we're in right now. It's been going on for about 2,000 years. All right? um, what is to happen next is what we call the rapture of the church. That word rapture is not in Scripture, but the word we get it from, those words are, and you'll see Scriptures about that in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, meaning this very simply, and we're going to unpack these in a moment, that the next thing to happen in the sequence of events, what we are waiting for, the blessed hope, is that Christ is going to return for us, descend in the clouds, we're going to meet him in the air, and all the dead in Christ will rise first, and anybody who is still on the earth won't see physical death, but will be resurrected, and we will join with Christ and all of our loved ones, receive our glorified bodies, and then we will be with him. And then there will be lots of other things that are going to happen after that, but for us, that's the next thing, okay? Because we're in the church age, the rapture of the church happens next, right? Moving quickly, then during this time frame, it's all kind of happening at the same time in a sense. The judgment seat of Christ, that is for believers, not to determine salvation, because that's already happened here, right, through what Christ has done in our faith and belief. But yes, Christians are judged. We are given eternal heavenly rewards for what we have done in Christ, right? I don't believe there will be punishment, but there will be loss of rewards, But yet we still, we enter into his presence, into heaven. There are some kind of a sense of eternal uh, rewards. That's what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. It's also called the Bema seat. There is a seven-year tribulation. We believe here that it is a literal seven years, an actual seven years as we count them, that will happen here on the earth. Some Christians believe that we are part of this because they allegorize it, meaning it's not really seven That is kind of, this is the tribulation. You're going to see as we go through it. If you read Revelation, uh, I believe it's chapters 3 to 18, maybe 6 to 18, something like that. That Revelation goes into detail about the atrocities and the horror of the tribulation. There is no way that we are living in the tribulation now. Because Jesus says it will be a time like the earth has never seen. Okay, And we would not want to live with it. That's why we believe in what we call a pre-tribulational rapture here. It means that Christ is going to come before that because we are not people of wrath. Okay, We have been saved from that. And so there's seven years of tribulation. At the end of the seven years, that is when Christ actually returns to earth. Because in the rapture, he doesn't come down to earth. We meet him in the air. It's important. At the end of the seven years, he comes back. Again, we're going to unpack this. 
Um, and he comes back to finally judge uh, the people of Israel and the Gentiles on earth to, to finally end the tribulation or else everybody would perish, Scripture says, and to inaugurate what we call the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. It says that in Revelation. Okay, and he starts that up, so that's the end of the tribulation. There are some judgments that are going to happen before, um, before uh, eternity happens at the end of the millennial kingdom. There is then at the end of the thousand years, that's when we get that new heaven and the new earth that we read about at the end of Revelation, and they come down, and then that is where we spend eternity with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. It is also beautiful. I believe our glorified bodies are designed by God for us to live in eternity with him, right, in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, so hopefully take a lot of notes. Again, we can't go into all the details. You can ask a lot of questions later if you'd like during our fellowship lunch. Um, but where does this all come from? Am I just making this up? Listen, there is a lot of prophecy, a lot of scriptures that show us what God's plan is in the Old Testament. Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Nehemiah in the New Testament and Revelation, 1 Thessalonians, it's all throughout. Jesus talks all about it. In Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse, when his disciples are like, Jesus, when is this all going to end? And you said the temple's going to be destroyed. How is this going to happen? Jesus spends two chapters telling them in detail what it's going to look like. So God provides the timeline. So I want to start with a very interesting passage of Scripture that maybe you, you never thought you would see taught in, in, in church. And again, volumes have been written on this, but we're only going to touch the surface. But I'm showing it to you just a, as an example of how God has revealed the details of his plan, okay? Have you ever heard of something called the 70 weeks of Daniel? Have you ever heard about that? Okay, or the 70th week? I mean, it's like, where does this come from? Daniel chapter 9, what a beautiful book, and what do we think about when we think of Daniel, right? And the lion's den. Yes, a huge part of that. But you read, this, you read all of the book of Daniel and see that God gives him visions, and Daniel does a lot of praying. God answers his prayers. So Daniel 9, in this great biblical prophecy of how the future is going to unfold, do you know what it is? It's an answer to Daniel's prayer. Daniel prays, and then God gives him, through the angel Gabriel, he gives him this revelation, okay? He's given him others, gives him this revelation. It's called the 70 weeks prophecy, right? I want to read it to you and highlight a few things. And I've actually underlined and highlighted some important things. I'm going to read it slowly. So again, here's the context. Daniel was praying. God answers his prayer. It says, here's how things are going to play out. Not exactly how Daniel thought, but through an angel, God gives Daniel this vision, Okay, so follow along with me. Remember, this is Old Testament stuff, right? Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people. This is God speaking through the angel to Daniel. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. So the people, your holy, Israel, holy city, Jerusalem, to do what? To do a series of things. To finish transgression. To make an end to sin to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. We stop there for just a second. So God is giving a vision of the future to Daniel, his prophet, right, through an angel, and he says, here's how things are going to play out, right? And he says, it's all going to happen within 70 weeks, and then he's going to break it down, but he said, here's the purpose. Isn't it great? God says, here's the plan. It's going to be 70 weeks for, for your people, for Israel, and for Jerusalem. And he says, here's the reason. This is why this is all going to happen. To finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, atone for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy place. Verse 25. So you are to know and discern. So God says, this is for you to know and have some discernment and wisdom. That, and then he's going to give us the beginning, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So he said the beginning is when a decree is given sometime in history, in the future, right, from Daniel's time, that a decree will be given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that's the holy city, until, and he's saying here's the end, 
Messiah the Prince, until Messiah comes, who we know is Jesus, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Scholars aren't really sure why he breaks it up. Certain things happen after the seven weeks. Okay, we're going to look at that in a second. And then there's 62 weeks. But altogether, well, how much is 62 and 7? It's 9. Um, if you want to uh, read the Bible and you need to do a little bit of math, I think we're okay. We probably all have enough math to be able to add and subtract, right? Do a little multiplying. But here's the thing. So he says, this prophecy, Daniel, that I'm giving you, this timeline of the 70 weeks, it's going to start when there's a decree given to restore Jerusalem Okay, and his people, and it's going to end when the Messiah comes. And he says it's going to be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That is 69 weeks. Didn't he say there was 70? Okay, let's keep reading. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Keep reading, verse 26. Then, after, see, timing? After the 62 weeks, meaning there was already the seven Then there's the 62, so the total of 69. After the 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Does that sound familiar? Happened with Jesus? And the people of the prince who is to come, that's not Jesus, the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So somehow, the temple, the city is going to be destroyed again by the people who are being led by the prince to come, and that means Satan himself, okay? And so there is something that happened in history. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, okay? So we'll keep unpacking this. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant... With the many, who's he? We're talking about that prince to come, who we believe is the Antichrist. We've heard about him. He is that prince to come, right? Jesus is the prince with a capital P. The Antichrist, the prince with the small p, right? And he will make a firm covenant, meaning the Antichrist, with the many, meaning Israel, for one week. There's that 70th week. But in the middle of that 70th week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate, meaning the Antichrist. And you say, Pastor Keith, what on earth are you talking about? Why are you reading this? Right? And again, we we don't have time to look at all the details, but here's the thing. If you've heard anything about it, we put it in context. Daniel prayed. God gave him a vision for the future because God is a God of the future. He has plans, and he's in the details. He tells Daniel it's going to take 70 weeks, and he breaks it down for him. First, there's seven weeks. Then there's 62 weeks, together 69. Then something happens with the Messiah that's coming back. There's one week left. There's something that's going to happen with the Antichrist at that one final week. In the middle of that week, after if it's... Right, right in the middle of that week, it's going to be um, something's going to happen with the Antichrist and the people of Israel, and there's going to be judgment on him. Okay, I show you this because this is a huge part of understanding that God has a plan for the future. So, if you ever read Revelation, you're not truly going to be able to understand it if you don't go back and read Daniel nine. Look at all these prophecies. How are we going to understand Daniel 9 if we don't know about when this decree was made? Do you know that there is a lot of history in the Old Testament? We look at other prophets, and we know from history, from the Bible itself, and listen, in extra-biblical scholarship and and, um, work and documents that we have throughout history, we know that there were decrees that were given. Decrees that were given for the people of Israel who were in exile to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. There were decrees that were given to go back, just build the temple. And there were others that were given. There was one, specifically the last one, that was given to rebuild the wall. And in historical sense, we know that there would be no city if there wasn't a wall, because that's how people lived back day, back in that day. If you didn't have a wall, you didn't have a city, because you didn't have a way to defend yourself. Okay? We have to know all this history and put it all together. See, it's all there in the Bible for us to read and to put it together. Okay? So, one last thing about this. 
what is this 70 weeks? What does that mean? What does weeks mean? Well, without going into too much detail, what we understand, the best way to interpret is this, okay? Weeks is a series of seven years, because Daniel is always, if you read all of Daniel, he's always thinking about years. It's not a week of days, because there's other parts of Scripture where when it's weeks of days, it specifically says weeks of days. Daniel is thinking in terms of years. God is speaking to him in other places in terms of years. So this is best understood as 70 weeks or 70 sevens, okay? So it's, if it's a group of seven years, like, you know, in a week we have seven days, right? He's not talking about seven days. They thought in terms of years. In groups of seven, see that, unities of seven? Very symmetrical. God is a God of the details. So if it's 70 sevens, what do you get if you multiply 70 times seven? 490. 490 years. So God is saying through uh, the angel to Daniel, this prophecy is going to be 490 years. From the day there's a decree issued, and we know that date in history, and we're going to look at that in a second, that um, the, um, there's a Syrian or Persian um, uh, leader, Artaxerxes, he gives, uh, oh, you remember in Nehemiah, right? When he tells Nehemiah, he says, you can go back and rebuild the wall in the city, right? And that, we believe, is that time, that decree that is given. So from that date in history, God is saying 490 years, okay? And then we can do all this math. Again, we're kind of moving through it quickly so we can get to see why all this matters. But see, that's why you have to mark that in your Bible. It's God gives it to Daniel in chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. And we can see he gets so specific. He even breaks it down. So if it's, he's saying it's 490 years, but he's saying first it's 60, uh, 69 weeks. So how many years is that? All right, well, look at that, 483. We do all this math. Just stay with me, okay? Stay with me. Hopefully you're interested just enough to stick with me, okay? So we're getting there. Please, just remember that God is a God of details. But look at this, right, just as a good perspective. You're going to go back to that last one. So the units of 70, okay? Here's where the 70 comes from, and then we're going to move on to other prophecy, right? Why 70, Okay. First of all, we also know from Scripture that seven is, seems to be a number of completion and perfection with God, okay? And uh, 70, right, is an important, year, uh, important time frame. The, the people of Israel were in exile in Babylon, you know, for how long? 70 years, okay? So look at this. What had happened with this? Do you know why in the Old Testament, trying to keep it broad here, why did God judge the people of Israel over and over and send them into exile Remember why? They were disobedient, right? They're disobedient. And so we know when the, the kingdoms of Israel, when they split, the northern tribes of Israel, the southern of Judah, right? Israel was taken captive uh, by um, the Assyrians. And then a few years later, then the southern tribes of Judah were taken captive by the Babylonians. Okay? We saw that when we, we looked at um, ha- uh, in uh, um, Habakkuk, right? So they're in exile because God judge them because they were disobedient. You know what their biggest, one of their biggest uh, sins was of disobedience? They, and this is important for understanding this prophecy. They did not keep the Sabbath year for the land. Because God said in his law, in Mosaic law, you can read it all throughout Leviticus, right? You can see it listed there, all the, the scriptures. He said every seven years, don't plant anything. You've got to let the ground relax and rest. Now, we know in this day that makes sense, right? All, all of us farmers here, okay? Because if you don't, you get the Dust Bowl, right? That's what we learn about in history. So they disobeyed. They disobeyed God. They missed, they disobeyed God for how many Sabbaths? Seventy. Seventy Sabbaths. So if the Sabbath was supposed to be every seven years, how many years of that was disobedience? 490. See, they missed 70 Sabbaths. So for generations, for 490 years, they did not keep that seven-year Sabbath of the land. So God, in his great sovereignty, he says, I'm going to judge you. You're going to be in captivity in Babylon, right? One year for every Sabbath you did not keep, 70 years. So it's supposed to be every seven years, see? One for every Sabbath they did not keep. 
So then he says to Daniel, in the vision, in the prophecy, he says, there is going to be a future 490 years. You were disobedient for 490 years, so there's going to be a future 490 years. This is how it's going to play out. There's going to be judgments in there. But, of course, God, through all that, is still gracious, isn't he? Because we are here today, okay? But I just wanted to show you that to give you an idea about how good God is and how detailed he can be, all right? So they're disobedient for all those Sabbaths, the 70 times 7. And so if we understand in Daniel 9, he says 70 weeks, and a week is a group of seven years, 70 times 7, 490. God is pretty symmetrical, isn't he? It's awesome. So we keep, let's move on, all right? We're going to show that again. How about this one? Look at the, ne- the next slide there. All right? If you can see that, it, again, it's just a visual. You don't have to write it all down. But it kind of gives a picture of what we're talking about today. You have Daniel's prophecy, which we believe all right, started with that decree by Artaxerxes. Right? Nehemiah, go back and rebuild the wall. It was around 444, maybe 445 B.C. Uh, that begins the timeline because he told Daniel this, this 490 years starts with a decree, okay? Um, you have, it's going to take 69 weeks total. He says 7 and 62, that's 69, okay? Until what? Until the Messiah is cut off. Before we end today, aren't we gathering around the Lord's table? Do you remember what happened to Jesus? That he was despised and rejected by his own people who did not receive him? Because the Messiah was cut off, see? So what, what God is saying to Daniel is this prophecy is going to end when the Messiah comes, presents himself to the people of Israel, and they cut him off. They reject him. Did that not happen, we, we believe, around the year 33 A.D., right? Kind of what we talk about. Jesus was about 33 years old when he died on the cross, when he was cut off. Isn't that amazing? So God says this vision, this prophecy starts with in about 444 with that decree to rebuild the, 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 the city of Jerusalem, okay? And then he says 490 years, but he says in the 69 weeks, after 69 weeks, the Messiah is cut off, and that's Jesus, right? So, wow, but there's one week left. So remember, we're saying the week is seven years, right? So there's seven years left unaccounted for somewhere, right? One week. If 69 weeks are done when Jesus went to the cross, what happens with that, 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 that last week, those seven years? That's where the tribulation comes in. You say, well, where do we get seven years of tribulation? The tribulation is also called the 70th week of Daniel. See? It's the completion of God's promise and decree and prophecy. Isn't God always going to make good on whatever he says? Yes, he will. But then where do we come in? See, we are now between the 69th week and the 70th week. That is the church age that we talked about last time. Because when Christ went to the cross and that prophecy of 490 years was fulfilled, and Jesus said, and God said now, redemption, salvation is found in my son. Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. The people of Israel, God is not done with them yet, you will see. Right? Let's put that aside, and we are now in a time called the age of grace, or the church age. But if God made promises to the people of Israel, go all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant. Go ahead and read that, right? And you go back to Genesis, and you read that he made promises to Abraham. He said, the people of Israel, I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to give you a people, right? And I'm going to give you um, a future And he says he's going to give them all this. God's going to make good on it, doesn't he? Well, he still will. We believe that here at Trinity, that he still will make good on that. But our place right now is in this church age, or the age of grace. So that's why we say, what's happening next? Well, we see from other scriptures, and we'll see, especially in 1 Thessalonians 4, that Christ, when he said he'd come back for us, he said, I'll come back for my church. He left us the Holy Spirit. I'm coming back. He will come back for us. Remove us before the tribulation starts. Because if we're not saved for wrath, right, but for grace, then if this 70th week that's going to come, if you read in Revelation how terrible those seven years are going to be of the tribulation, then I believe God says I'm taking the church out of here 
Because then starts the worst seven years in the history of the world. Read Revelation. There's chapter upon chapter about, I think, 13 chapters of Revelation. Do you know that? All about that seven-year tribulation. So how about this next slide? Look at this one. We're going to do this quickly as well. Again, giving you so much detail, but we're going to end with the bigger picture to bring it all into focus. Right? How do we get this? A little more Bible math. Is that fun? You didn't know you signed up for that today. We locked the door so you can't leave. Okay? So take the notes. Bear with me. All right. So he said 70 weeks total. Okay? He said after the 69, after the, the 7 and the 62, after the 69 weeks, Messiah is cut off. So somehow, if we believe God knows what he's doing, then from that date in the year 444, maybe 445, right? It all works out the same. You'll see. There was that decree given by Artaxerxes, said to Nehemiah, you can go back, rebuild the city of Jerusalem. From that decree, God said 490, 490 years, okay? But he said, after 69 weeks, that's what's, uh, if 70 times 7 is, is 49, right? Then if you're going to take away 7 years, it's 483. At the end of 483 years, the Messiah is cut off. Remember, the 70th week, the last week, is, is still future, okay? Messiah is cut off, and that happened in, in around 33 AD. So, 483 years. Ah, but at the time, right, when the, the decree was given, and when the prophecy was given to Daniel, the calendar was not 365 days the way we see it. Their calendar, the Jewish calendar, was 360 days per year. All right? So you have 7 times 7, that's 49 weeks. Right? 62 times 7, you add it all together, 483 years. But it's 483 years times 360 days per year. This is the prophetic calendar. Does that make sense? How God understood it, because at the people at the time, every year was 360 days. If you multiply 483 years times 360 days, 173,880 days. And you're just thinking, are you crazy? This is really in there? Yes, it is. Okay? You do a little reading. You do a little research. It's all in there. So we say that, that, that God is telling Daniel from the, the decree... To Jesus dying on the cross, the Messiah cut off, he tells Daniel, 173,880 days. Okay, God. But now, we don't look at our years of 360 days, right? A, a, a month, right? A year. It's 365, right? 365 is how we do it. That's called the Gregorian calendar. That's how we measure time now. At least I do, right? 365 days a year, okay? So if it started at 444 BC with a decree, Jesus, the Messiah, was cut off, AD 33. That's only 476 years. Oh, maybe God made a mistake? I don't think so. So 476 years times 365 days. How many days is it? Okay, 173,740. Well, we're missing 140 days. Could God be off that much? Well, Scholars have looked through history, and it's kind of pretty simple if you think about it. Okay, we, we're trying to translate now from the old calendar of 360 uh, days a year to 365, the way we, we measure time now. But aren't there something called leap years? How often does that happen? Every, every four years, right? Four years? But it wasn't every year. If you go back to 444, scholars see it wasn't, you don't just say there's 119 days to cover leap years. It wasn't 119 leap years, okay? You have to go back and say, well, starting in 444, no, it wasn't every year. Because it's not, do you know that it's not exactly 365 days? It's like 365.25 something something. So again, a lot of math, right? So you're doing the math. Here's what you come up with. You have to take into account 116 days in leap years. If you're starting at 445 B.C., it's 115 days. Either way, it works out. Account for the leap years. But then if we see that in 444 B.C., the, the, um, the decree given uh, to go rebuild the temple, we know from history, from Artaxerxes, when he took the throne, because when his son took the throne, you can add back, it was March 5th, of the year 444 B.C., right? But if we look at when Christ died, if you look at all, you put all of the, the history together, and again, we can't go into detail with it, it comes out to, we, we, our best guess, our best estimation, March 30th, in and around there. 
But however you stew the dates, you have to add in 24, 25 days, depending on what day you start with, for those days in between. Because God is specific. We're not just saying, oh, and generally it's, it happens. So if you take this, the 173,740 days, you account for leap years, you account for the days between when the decree was given in March to when Christ died, probably the end of March, how many days you come up with? 173,880 days. Okay? And again, check me on this. Go do your research. All right? Open up your study Bible. If you've got a good one, it'll show you all these details. But here's the point. We're not here to argue details. What I'm trying to show you is that you can do a little bit of math and you can see that God is in the details. This should give us hope. Because if God makes specific promises to the people of Israel and he said, I'm going to keep them, and he promises us that we'll never lose our salvation, then can't we trust him for something like that? If he was so specific about this, so if God is going to keep promises to Israel, he can keep promises to us. Now, if we just kind of spiritualize all this and say, well, this isn't real numbers, then to me that speaks of God isn't going to keep his promises, so how can I truly trust God that I have eternal life and that Christ is going to return and I get to see my, 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 my past relatives that are believers in heaven? How am I going to ever have hope if God is not a promise keeper. So all these minute details help to show us that God is a promise keeper. And it's all in scripture. Okay, But again, yeah, you have to look at history. You look at dates. You ever read the Old Testament? There's a lot of dates in there. You read the beginning of some of the Old Testament books. It says in the year, in the seventh year, in the fifth year, in the 20th day of this month and that month. They're there for a reason. Don't just gloss over them. They all have a purpose. Okay, So again, what's the progression? We are in the church age. The next thing to happen is the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, the second coming of Christ to the earth at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Again, the seventh year, is the, that is the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. After Christ returns, the final judgment, he institutes the millennial kingdom, a thousand years, a literal thousand years. There is then the new heaven and new earth and eternity. Excuse me, quickly. Let's unpack some of this. The church age, that's us, the age of grace, right? We are in the age of grace, no longer under the Mosaic law. Began at Pentecost. For now, for Jew, for Greek, for everybody, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone for all who believe. The church, capital C, is all believers worldwide. And we are to live for Christ, being witnesses for him until he returns. So how about the rapture? If we're saying that's next, there's no signs for its arrival. We call it the doctrine of imminency. Which imminent means it can happen at any moment. It can happen before I'm done talking. And some of you are like, Lord Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> but not until after fellowship lunch. Right, of course, right? So it can happen at any moment. So don't be looking for signs. Are they going to rebuild that temple in Jerusalem? Because if the Bible says there's going to be a temple for the Antichrist to be in, in, Daniel, in Daniel's prophecy, it says the abomination of desolation, where the Antichrist makes a, a covenant with Israel at the beginning, halfway through, if it's seven years, three and a half years in the middle, he breaks that covenant, and all you know what breaks loose, and then what happens? We see, well, there's got to be a temple. When is that going to be built? Before the rapture, after the rapture, they're making plans now? Who knows? But the point is, there's no signs we have to look for until Jesus returns for us, because it's imminent. He's going to come in the clouds for us at any moment. Therefore, that should lead us to live holy lives for him. Christ comes back for his bride. Remember, we are the church. We are his bride. He is the bridegroom. He's coming back for us. It just look at it. It's what's a beautiful study. If you look at the traditional Jewish uh, wedding process, it took a, 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 at least a week. And you could see so much symbolism in there. But you see, at the end of that whole process, the bridegroom... He, he leaves his bride, and he goes away, and he comes back at the end for his bride to make her his own. Jesus, the bridegroom, is coming back for us, the church, his bride. So he said he's coming back. All believers, dead and alive, meet him in the air. This is at the rapture. Jesus is not physically returned to earth yet. We receive our glorified bodies. Amen. Believers uh, who have died since Pentecost arise first, as the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
They have been with Christ all along, all along, of course, but now receive their glorified bodies. So when we pass away, if it happens before the rapture, we are immediately in the presence of Christ. And that's what we focus on. And at some point, when the rapture happens, we get our glorified bodies. Here's all the scriptures. Of course, I'm not going to read them, but you write them down. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation 20, John 14. That's where it all comes from. Your study Bibles will have that. So, if that happens at the rapture, the rapture begins the timeline of the seven-year tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel. Because remember, it's 69 weeks, 483 years, 173,880 days, right? The Messiah is cut off. That's when Jesus died, thir- around 33 AD, okay? And then we see the 70th week uh, is what's going to happen in the future. Because right now, we're sort of in-, in a holding pattern. We're in the church age because God is so good, he wants none to perish, Right? So it's taken at least 2,000 years for God to tarry, as we say, so more and more people can be saved. But the, so once the, the rapture happens, okay, and then what happens is the judgment seat of Christ. As I mentioned, believers are judged based upon what we have done in Christ. All, right? all of our good works, not to earn salvation, but all of our good works in Christ after salvation are judged If they pass through the fire, then they are like silver, gold, and precious stone, which passes through the fire. It's accounted to us as reward. If it does not pass through those times that we are sinful and disobedient in Christ, and it does not pass through, it gets burned up like wood, hay, or stubble, and then that is counted as loss. Not judgment, but loss. Okay? So again, that judgment seat for believers that happens after the rapture is not for salvation. Okay? Here's some scriptures, 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14. It's possible that something you read about in Revelation, the marriage feast of the Lamb, Revelation 19, some scholars say it happens then uh, in heaven with us right after the rapture. Others say it happens in the millennial kingdom. Um, It's going to happen, and we're going to be there. Amen? Okay. So the seven-year tribulation, that's the 70th week of Daniel, begins with the Antichrist signing a peace treaty with Israel. The church, remember, we're already raptured, so we're not going through the tribulation. That's what we believe here. Premillennial, pre-tribulation rapture. Final judgment and salvation of Israel. That's what these seven years are for. If we went back and looked at that passage in Daniel 9, remember he said all those things I underlined that this prophecy was for, right? To bring atonement for sin, which happened in Christ, right? To finally judge, to do all those things. God said this has to happen, And so a lot of it's going to happen in that last week, okay, a final judgment for the people of Israel. It's going to, those seven years are going to be a great time of salvation, even though it's going to be so difficult, but many, of course, will still follow Satan. I think God graciously limits it to seven years, because the Bible says, or else, all would perish. So some of you might say, man, he's going to let it last 70 years, uh, seven years, praise God, it's not more. Because the Bible says, if it does last a day longer, everybody will die. Revelation 6 through 18. 13 chapters in Revelation talk about this seven-year period. Go ahead and read it. Not right now, when you go back home. Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse. Jesus details these end times. And it's all in reference to the future program for Israel, not the church. When you read Matthew 24 and 25... Know that Jesus is teaching his disciples about God's program for finishing his relationship with the people of Israel, not the church. All those judgments, all those things in in Matthew 24 and 25, it's not for the church. We read it and we can learn and there's blessings for us. But of course, as all of scripture is for us, but not to us. Does that make sense? Not every word of scripture is written to us, the church, but it's all for us. Revelation, uh, Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is speaking of God's future plan for Israel. And that continues. So, uh, so we did that, right? And so the seven years of tribulation. What happens at the end of the seven years? Jesus comes back to earth, on earth, to finally rule in the kingdom that was supposed to be set up for him with Adam and Eve back in Genesis, which we've talked about many times. He's bringing it all to conclusion. Jesus will reign... Um, on earth for a thousand years. We'll look at that in a second. So, Jesus comes back to earth at the end of the seven years. Physically, he ends the tribulation because he's merciful. But remember, he's coming back as judge and king. Judgment of the living Gentiles, those who survived the tribulation. Matthew 25. Remember I just said Matthew 24 and 25? Uh, Jesus is talking about the people of Israel, right? And what's going to happen? So, the sheep and the goats parable. Remember that? The sheep and the goats? 
It's about those people of Israel, the Jewish people. The sheep are the ones, the Jewish people, who will be saved and enter the millennial kingdom. The goats are those that are unsaved, confined to hell, right? The sheeps and the goats. That's actually the judgment of Gentiles. Sorry, I skipped ahead. Sheeps and goats are the judgment of the Gentiles. So we know what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. But what happens is there's also a judgment for Israel. That's the parable of the ten virgins. If you read Matthew 24 and 25... You're going to see those two parables, the sheeps and the goats. For the Gentiles, during the tribulation, we won't be here, remember, church, we won't be here. During the tribulation, Jesus is saying, the sheeps and the goats, those will be saved and enter the millennial kingdom, and those will be confined to hell. Okay? Still believing in Jesus is the measure of that. There's a judgment for Israel, the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, the wise are the ones that are saved, entering the millennial kingdom. The foolish are the unsaved, confined to hell. <clears throat> There's a resurrection and rewards for Old Testament saints who died, and the saints who died during tribulation. There's all the scriptures. Did you ever hear the Battle of Armageddon? Okay. We believe from scripture clearly teaches that it will happen here at the end of the seven years when Christ comes back to earth. There will be a battle of nations on earth, many of whom exist today. It will all come to fruition. There will be a battle. At the end of the seven years, Jesus binds Satan to begin his thousand-year reign. He cast him into the abyss, not yet the lake of fire, into the abyss where he is bound with all of his demons. You know what that means? When he then is establishing his millennial kingdom, which we look at now, for those thousand years here on earth, Jesus reigns on his throne in Jerusalem. Did not God promise King David that he will always have a ruler in his line? Jesus is from the line of David. Jesus takes his rightful place on the throne of David in Jerusalem, On this earth, to rule and reign for a thousand years, Satan is bound in the abyss for those thousand years, so he does not have the influence. Now, sin has not yet totally been eradicated. So people that are born in the millennium, they're still born sinful, can still... um, can still, you know, decide not to follow Jesus. For a thousand years, a literal thousand years, there are generations born. You're going to have people in the millennium in those thousand years... You're going to have us with glorified bodies, and you're going to have people with mortal bodies. Does this sound a little like science fiction? Well, it's in the scripture, okay? And so the people with mortal bodies that are born, that enter into the millennium after the seven-year tribulation, those that make it, they're going to reproduce and procreate and, and have people and have babies for a thousand years. But yet they still have to choose to follow Jesus. He will be on his throne in Jerusalem. Can you imagine there will still be people that say, no, I don't believe? But yet it happened in his first advent when he walked the earth for 33 years, right? People still didn't believe him. The same thing will happen. Why do I say all that? Because at the end of the thousand years where people will live longer evidently, at the end there will be a large group of people, not many but large enough, that when Satan is released from the abyss at the end of the thousand years, Jesus said one last time, he releases him from the abyss so he can uh, pronounce his final judgment. Satan gathers his demons. Those on the earth in the millennial kingdom at the end who are not followers of Christ, they'll have one last rebellion against Jesus. And of course, he defeats them. And that's when, uh, that is when Satan and all of his demons are cast in what we call the lake of fire. Remember, he was bound in the abyss. He has released one last rebellion, cast into the lake of fire. And that is also, we believe, uh, what happens is called the great white throne judgment. That is when all who have died in unbelief throughout all ages who are waiting for this final proclamation of judgment, they get their final judgment and they are cast into the lake of fire with Satan and his demons for all eternity. You read that in Revelation 20. Okay? There is also finally judgment of creation, heavens and earth. You remember the earth and God's creation, physical creation, was tainted by sin, wasn't it? Scripture says that all the, the, the earth groans and mourns for that day. So God finally has these series of judgments on Satan and his demons, on all those in unbelief throughout the ages, and also finally on his creation because it was contaminated by sin. So you'll see uh, it says it in Revelation, Second Peter alludes to it also, that the earth will be destroyed by fire to make way for the new heavens and the new earth. So when you read finally in, um, when you read in uh, Revelation 21, towards the end of the book, if you've ever read it, it talks about the new heaven and the new earth. This is when it happens. After the thousand years, after Satan is bound and everybody that is in unbelief is committed to the lake of fire, 
then God, what happens is Christ, the Son, hands the kingdom over to God the Father. The new heavens and the new earth, read it in Revelation. Lots of detail, lots of detail. Measurements are given, if you haven't read it. Revelation 21. Then, of course, begins the eternal kingdom of God. That's what we call eternity. And for us, it's perfect and eternal fellowship with our creator. So, finally, after all this time, so what? So what? Why does all this matter? Why did we just listen to you for 45 minutes and write down all these mind-numbing details? Why should we even study Bible prophecy? Five things. Uh, I, I adapted this from a book by Paul Benware. It's a great book simply called Understanding End Times Prophecy. Five great things we learn. Why do we study prophecy in the Bible? It reminds us that God is in control. Right? Wickedness, chaos in the world, craziness, depression, everything gets to us. We read the news, it gets to us. We have to realize and remember God is in control and God is sovereign. He's the creator of the universe. Prophecy reminds us that he's in control and all will happen as he says it will. The past workings of God and future workings help us to be at peace and trust him now. It also reminds us that God is good. I mean, we struggle in this life with pain, illness, hopelessness, directionless. But he wrote the final chapter of the story. This is not all that there is right now. Our human condition, our condition as believers improves. We see that. But there will be judgment. There will be blessing. We look forward to perfect fellowship with God because he is good. Studying Bible prophecy should motivate us to holy living. Jesus' return will bring joy to some but shame to others. If we don't anticipate his return and consider what the Bible says about it, we may, we may be even more inclined to let sin reign. If we keep our eyes fixed on things above and the fact that God tells the end of the story, it should motivate us to holy living. It should not lead to apathy and say, well, God's going to do whatever he wants. We know he will. But shouldn't this all lead us to say, wow, we're people of hope, and we know God, Christ is going to return as judge, and we don't want... What if he returns tomorrow? Do you want your friends and family to go through the tribulation? Read Revelation, we say no. And so it should motivate us to holy living for ourselves, to be that perfect bride that, God's gonna, that Jesus is going to come back for, right? A bride dressed in white. Didn't we sing earlier? The crimson stain we've made white as snow. Jesus, a bridegroom, wants to return for his bride. Are we going to keep ourselves holy and pure for him? for that day that he returns, our bridegroom, see? So it should motivate us to holy living. The fourth thing, studying Bible prophecy helps us to establish proper priorities. It puts things in perspective, right? That if we understand these things are going to happen, when he raptures the church, we, ha- we want to have been good witnesses for him, right? Ambassadors to reflect that light. God has allowed this to happen for 2,000 plus years because he's merciful. Do you see that? He's merciful and he wants, he would have none to perish. So he want, he's choosing us as the church until he returns to spread the gospel, to proclaim it and tell people, yes, there is hope because he's coming back, but are you ready? And finally, why? It gives us hope. We study Bible prophecy. We read all those details in Daniel 9. We do all the research of the dates and we put it all together because it should give us hope. It should give us hope. We should have a confident expectation and have no need to fear the future. Do you fear the future? Do you fear what's going on? Do you read the news and you fear for the future? Do you fear for the future? We should not be people of fear because we know how the story ends. I'm going to leave you with two verses. We're going to gather around the Lord's table and then we'll close in prayer. Titus 2, 11 to 13. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Why? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why we call this church the return of Christ, the rapture, our blessed hope. Because he's coming back for us. We are waiting, eagerly awaiting as a bride eagerly awaits her groom. We eagerly await Jesus. The last one, this is the one I've referenced. 
1 Thessalonians 4, this is the blessed hope, the description of what we just read. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning dead in Christ, that you may not grieve as others, who, uh, as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be always with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's why we study Bible prophecy. That's why we make a big deal of how it all fits together. Because we are to encourage one another with these great words of hope. Can we say amen to that?